Why the cross? You think about the cross and you uh, say, okay, it's where Jesus died, it's the crucifixion. There are many uh, businesses and organizations uh, around the world, and particularly uh, here in our state and others in our nation, that are businesses, major companies who, who try to come up with a catching logo. And so a logo that anyone, that when you see that logo, you know what that means. And they also have what I'll call is a catchphrase. I want to give you two or, two or three of those, and uh, I know that you will, you will know them all. For example, uh, how many of you know what the Nike logo looks like? You do? It, uh, Nike looks like that. So let me ask you again, now that you know. How many of you know what the Nike logo looks like? You know, after the first service and before coming out here, Dan Allen McBride said, did you know that you preached a shorter message this morning than usual? I thought, well, who, who's keeping the time on it? He said, you did. Well, I can tell you why. The people really cooperated. <laughs> How many have ever seen the Nike logo? Oh, my Jesus. It's amazing what three minutes will do to get a little cooperation. So here's the catchphrase. What does it say? Just do it. Oh, you're doing so well by now. It's, uh, it's also called the swoosh. How many knew that? The Nike is swoosh. There you have it. And, uh, or just do it. But it comes from a Greek word. It was known in Jesus' day, Nike, a Greek word. And here's what it meant. In the Greek word, it meant victory. So no matter where you go around the world, you see the Nike logo, just do it. You know what they're saying, just do it for? Win. Just do it. Just get out there and get the victory with everything that you possibly can. Well, here's another logo. How many of you know the McDonald logo. There you go. It's not McDonald's. Some people try to persuade me that I'm saying it wrong. I say it's McDonald's. And since I'm here, so after the, second, or after the first service, do you have any idea how many messages I got of people in the drive-thru at McDonald's taking pictures, sending it to me? Yeah, pastor, here you go. What is the catchphrase? I'm what? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Well, that's my, anywhere you go, you see that logo, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, and it, it matters. It's also, uh, here's what young people or children like. Children like to go because, listen, we just know who makes better French fries than McDonald's. Hello, Wendy's, God bless you. Go get you a truckload of them. Wendy's, I mean, you're messing me up. It's McDonald's. What are their fries? And they're, they're only good when they're hot. Here's how I feel about that. If they're going to kill you, be sure they're hot when you eat them, okay? Don't die because of a cold French fry. I just want you to know that. Don't die because of a cold French fry. I mean, if you're going to die, get a good hot one. And that makes all the difference in the world. And it also is the home of the happy, happy meal. 
Happy Meal. How many of you adults go through the drive-thru gun and get yourself a Happy Meal? It's the toy, isn't it? You just love the toy. And you know, here's what happened. If you want to have a family reunion, you used, to take a, you used to take a lot of time and effort and rent a facility or somebody's house and mess the house up. Listen, all you got to do now is get in the family van. Everybody get in the family van and hit the drive-thru at McDonald's. You can order a bunch of Happy Meals, get a quarter pounder with cheese, get a McGriddle, get, get all of that stuff, and you can have a family reunion right there in the Happy Meal. And here's what I know, that soccer moms who drive vans, you can go to the parking lot right now and you can open the door to that van and you can find a meal in there of leftover french fries under the seats, in the seat, underneath the seat. You can find leftover hamburger, leftover buns, all of that sense. You don't have to go hungry. Just go out and look for a van out there and you'll find McDonald's in there somewhere. I'm loving it. Here's another one. One of our favorites. Huh? Huh? One of our favorites. What is the catchphrase? Shopping is a pleasure. How wonderful is that? Terry Bradshaw, how many know him? Somebody's you asking us a lot of questions. I'm trying to get your exercise in. You know, Terry Bradshaw spoke at one of their big leadership meetings one time and the whole time. He said, it's so good for me to be here at Publix. I just want you to know I, I love, I'm glad to be invited here, not to mention the contract that Publix had to sign to get him there. But Publix, and you, you know that Barnett's and Jenkins and that bunch are going nuts. So we brought this guy in here and he's calling our company Publix. It's Publix. Where shopping is a pleasure. How wonderful is that? And then there's one more. These things that the catchphrase, the deal. And it is the chick. No, it's chick fil Y'all still missing that one too, chick fil So what is the catchphrase? No, it's not eat more chicken. It's eat mo chicken. <laughs> Y'all know that. It's eat mo chicken. You got to have a spin on that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The chicken minis four count. Hello? How many of the chicken minis four count? There you go, the four count. Or you can get the original, the bun. You can get the piece of chicken on there, and you can get the little dinky pickle. <laughs> and I got, I got a chicken sandwich. Only about 600 something calories, but I mean, eat more chicken. And there it is. It's just. An amazing thing. And then every person who waits on you, they're going to say to you what? It's my pleasure. I was in a hotel looking it over the other day in Orlando, checking it out for a large conference that's going to be there. And the lady kept saying, I said, you mind if we go and look at some of the rooms here? Well, you, you got to look at the rooms? I said, yeah. She said, it's my pleasure. I said, you can't say that to me. I said, that's not your phrase. That's Chick-fil-A phrase. <laughs> My, she said, you need to look at the rooms. That's right. I want to turn on the water to be sure the water's hot. I want to flush the toilet to be sure it flushes and doesn't keep running forever. I want to be certain that the bed doesn't have too many ticks and fleas in it. 
I just want to be sure. I just want to check out to be sure the room is right. I want to be sure the air conditioner works and doesn't labor and will only, only get down, you know, to like 65 degrees. I like it cool in there. Amen? That's why you want to look at it. Don't ever forget it. Don't just blindly go into a hotel, friend. It upsets me. Don't do that. You'll be sorry. But here's another. Eventually. What is that? Now, let me ask you this question. If major companies have a logo and they have a catchphrase, how could, why, did the creator of the universe say, here's your, here's your logo? It's the cross. The cross which represents death. The cross which represents humiliation. The cross which represents pain. The cross which represents the crucifixion. A cross that Almost anybody can have a cross. You can find them at Walmart. You can find them at other stores. You can find them at jewelry stores. And, and they're so plentiful that you can look at a cross and say, oh, I just take that cross for granted. But let me tell you, there is one cross that showed up on the day of Jesus' crucifixion that should never be taken for granted. And it is the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? But why the cross? I'm going to give you the answers to that so that you understand and we help one another. Because you see, to stay passionate about your Christian relationship, your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to stay passionate. You have to stay on point. You have to stay focused. You have to set priorities and say, that cross means something to me. It's not just a little wooden thing I wear around my neck or something that is gold and I wear it around my neck. It's not something that I have a painting in, in the middle of our home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That cross means something to me. Why? Because it was that cross and the person that hung on that cross that made the difference for you and for me. So I want to talk a moment about the pain of the cross. I want to talk about the power of the cross and I I want to talk about the people of the cross. On this Palm Sunday, we look at the pain of the cross. We look at that and think, well, why, why does that differ? Here it is. The Roman government, the Roman government had uh, uh, virtually control of, of, of Israel, the Jews in that particular day during Jesus' day. Uh, and the cross was uh, something they executed people on. The Roman government did a good job. They had several ways to get rid of you. One is just take the sword and, and take your head off. Another would be just to burn you. I mean, that's real reasonable. Uh, another was take some rocks, stones, and stone you. That's pretty easy. In other words, to get rid of you. And that was uh, an execution. Another one, the most dignified was, and this is what happened with Socrates when he was killed. They just gave him some hemlock, that's a poison, and had his friends around and said, now he's going to drink this poison. He's going to die a dignified death, but he is going to die, and y'all are going to get to stand here and watch it happen. And it's kind of a private ceremony, but not the crucifixion. When you were hung on the cross, the crucifixion was much more bothersome. There had to be four soldiers and a centurion to oversee them. And sometimes the crucifixion on the cross, not just hours, but took days. 
for that to take place. It was a lot more time-consuming and certainly a whole lot more costly than just take a sword out and take a head off. There are two reasons why they used the crucifixion when the Roman government decided to use the cross. Not every time, but they had two reasons, and here they are. They wanted to maximize the pain and the agony of the condemned person, and it could be drawn out to take many hours, so the greatest amount of suffering was done by causing that time to linger. The second reason is they wanted to maximize the public humiliation of the person that was being crucified. I mean, they would take that person, of course, and, and beat them with a strap that would be leather, that had bone particles, that had lead, had nails in it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they would slice the back open, getting you ready to be able to go to the cross. And by the time that was through, you were almost dead. And then they would take you on the cross beam with your tie them there and make you go through the busiest street in town, the one where the most people were, not the shortcut, the long road that would get you to wherever you're going. And by the time the beating was over, you were bleeding so profusely that if the centurion did not stop to try to stop the bleeding, most of the time, many times, you would die on your way to the crucifixion site. And in the case of Jesus, it was Golgotha. And when he finally made it, there'd be those that were leading the procession that had the sign of what you were guilty of. Jesus, it's insurrection, it's traitor. There was a unique little deal in the Roman government in their law. No Roman citizen, however, could be crucified because it was such a death of agony. It was such a death of pain that the Roman law said, we can crucify anybody else. But no Roman citizen is going to have to face that kind of pain. It is against the law to crucify a Roman citizen. But if you were an insurrectionist, and if in that particular day you were the Roman government and you say these Jews are getting a little bit unruly and they're beginning to get a mind of their own and they've got this teacher that goes around and we cannot control him and there are many followers that are following him. He's performing miracles. He turned water into wine. We're going to have to embarrass him and we're going to do it by crucifixion and we want any Jew who happens to decide that they have a mind of their own and they'd like to rebel, we want them to know this is what you're going to face. It's crucifixion by the cross. So if you decide you're going to rebel and create an insurrection, you better think twice. And that's another reason why they paraded Jesus, of course, so that everyone can see it. Oh, don't you know, when the crowd got involved and they began to jeer and they saw the reason why and others didn't, they just wanted to see it. It was like a great sports event. And Jesus never one time gave up. He never one time quit. He never one time used his power to say, this too shall pass in the hostile territory we know that in that day there was a reason that Jesus died. And it was because death was a stronghold and could only be broken by the power of death, but by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we know that when he got to Golgotha, 
that they took a spike similar to this and his wrists were tied and now we're going to drive the stake right here. We're going to pierce it all the way through and nail it down into that wooden thick cross and we're going to do it this here. And now we're going to take the crossbar and put it on the vertical piece while it's down and we're going to take his right foot first and put it on the cross. We're going to take the left foot and both arches will be over one another and we're going to drive that nail through the arch of the right and the left foot deeply into that cross. Now, raise the cross. When you raised a cross in that day, you raised it up with the ropes. The hole is dug, but there is a jarring that took place when that cross finally stood vertical enough that it could go down in the hole and it will And every nerve in the wrist and in the feet felt the weight of Jesus. It kind of causes me to want to look differently at a cross after hearing that. It causes me to want to look differently at my own commitment. And to say, I've never had to have that kind of pain. Now, if you had the authority and you had the power to speak the word, deliver me, and you chose not to use it, what would keep you on that cross? Love. For even while I was yet a sinner, Jesus loved me. The pain of that cross, of course, once upright, the jeering that took place, but how do you breathe? Because your lung is filling up with fluid and blood. You push on your feet to try to get some relief and pull with your hands. And every time you do, you feel those nails. But if you're going to breathe, that's what has to happen. You see, the death of Jesus Christ is considered to be by many in commentaries and historians that his death on the cross and his crucifixion was the vilest of all crucifixions. But he had a purpose and he had a reason to understand. Most eventually died of suffocation because they no longer can breathe. Jesus is there, this Son of God that we understand, that we take for granted that we often sometimes don't pay attention to and some who's never bowed their knee or their heart to him and said thank you it was him who on the cross says father forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing 
And when you know someone is guilty and you know that they are purpose-driven and you know that they're doing it out of a nasty spirit and it's demonic spirits behind it, how do you come up with the ability and that kind of pain that says, Father, forgive them because they don't understand? That compassion is what reached down to you and me who do not deserve it. And said, here is your opportunity. And they crucified him. Now there's something else you need to understand, or you might understand. You don't need to understand anything, but you might understand. The Gospel of Mark simply says, and they crucified him. And that's about it compared to the agony that I just described. And there is a reason why. And anything that I could find said, we do not want the pain that Jesus suffered on the cross to be the focal point. We do not want the suffering that Jesus suffered to be the focal point. He wanted the focal point to be obedience. He wanted the focal point to say there's only one who has the ability and the power and the mission to hang on that cross, and his name is Jesus. And he had no sin, he had no guile, he had no bitterness. All of that, he was as pure as pure could be. And he stayed on that cross in the agony for you and for me. Oh, but how many crosses have I viewed and just viewed and said, oh, that's the cross, etc." But listen, friend, you might, when you look at it from now on, want to look at it a little differently and say that, that is the logo of Jesus Christ being obedient to the will of the Father who stayed on that cross and did not come off. It was the point that it was so difficult that he took our pain, he took our sin, he took the betrayal of our lives to him, the fallen individuals. He took those that committed genocide, every murder. He took the Holocaust, anyone that's ever killed someone else, any sin that you've ever, ever had in your life, public or private, your secret sin, and he nailed it to the cross so that you could have one opportunity in your life to come clean and to say, now I understand. I thank you for the privilege that you have given me. The opportunity that is there, even to the point that he had to do it alone because God the Father turned his head from him. And when that happened, Jesus looked and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No help for you, son. No freebie, no compromise. It has to be this way. Why? Because salvation is a costly factor that is worth the death of the Son of God, and there is no other way. For every time you try to compromise your faith, you're trying to diminish the cost of your salvation. Jesus, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which gives us the privilege of saying, Father, 
forgive me for I have sinned. I've been stubborn. I've not been focused. I'm not living right. I'm not walking right. I'm not paying attention. I take you for granted. I sometimes have a different priority at a moment's notice. There are others who will shake their fist in God's face and be an agnostic or an atheist, and he allows them to do that and gives them breath every day to live their life until the moment that he says, your time is up. One of my spiritual mentors, Reverend Cecil Wiggins, pastor at Evangel Temple, a very strong church in Jacksonville, a church known in that community by the city fathers and by others in that community to be a mover and a shaker in that town. He pastored there 45 plus years. He still preached, taught a Sunday school class every Sunday morning. His son now is the pastor and has been the pastor for several, several years. But his son, who's a dear friend of mine, called me Saturday morning at about 7.30. I looked at my phone and I thought, why would he be calling? He said, hey, Wayne, Gary, yeah, just calling to let you know dad passed away this morning. I said, I just saw him Monday. I was just in meetings with him Monday here in Lakeland. He said, I know. He went to bed last night. He said, at about 1.30 this morning, he woke up in heaven. His grandson, who's on the staff there, told me, hey, I went in granddad's office at home. And there was his Bible open, and there was his reading chart. He checked Friday off because he read through the Bible every single year and checked it off in a reading chart. Another staff member sent a picture of him in the altar, front pew. He said, if we couldn't find him, we often could go into the sanctuary and he'd be there praying. Listen, friend, he lived that kind of life, and I have known him for close to 50 years. But at 1.30 or so yesterday morning, that cross turned in to a throne. You see, as church families, we live in a culture today that does not accommodate our Christian faith. We live in a culture that many of them don't know that today is Palm Sunday and they don't care. We live in a culture today that there is almost an antichrist spirit that is there. And there are those who say the church has lost it. But let me tell you, as long as there's one person willing to put on the cloak of their Christian faith that will stand up and declare, stand up and declare Jesus Christ is Lord, that in itself is enough power to rule the whole universe, my friend. All it takes is just one. Just one. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, 
is his day. It's his day to say, how do you feel about the sacrifice? How do you feel about the love? How do you feel about forgiveness? How do you feel about conquering death? How do you feel about that? And we get to show up and praise and worship and say, we're going to tell you how we feel about that. And we're going to praise him and honor him. And then there are those that we should be inviting and say, we want you to have an opportunity to know what the cross means. Here's what the Bible says in the garden of Gethsemane in his time of prayer. He said, my soul is in anguish. You know, this cup is tough for me. I'm sorrowful to the point of death. But I know what my mission is. My mission is pain. My mission is the cross. My mission is the tomb. And my mission is the resurrection power that will take place on the third day. That's my mission. That's my investment. And that extraordinary power of the cross, the pain, is when he breathed his last breath. And the earth shook. How many of you believe it shook? Oh, I got to tell you, it shook. It's going to shake again too, friend. Amen. It's going to shake again. Hope you got your shaking shoes on. It's going to shake again. And it went dark. But there were those at the temple and those that were at the crucifixion seen in a distance. And that veil that was about that thick that only once a year the high priest could go in to the Holy of Holies. There were those who were there, and the record of what they saw said, when that earth shook and it grew dark, all of a sudden we saw literally that thick curtain split right down in two, and we wondered what in the world just took place. And one centurion said, for truly he must be the Son of God. Hallelujah. He said, I'm serving notice. He is the Son of God today, yesterday, and forever. And he still extends his hands and said, hey, come on and be a part of my family. Enjoy my grace. Enjoy my mercy. Enjoy my healing. Enjoy my peace. And join me for all of eternity. I died to give you that privilege. How wonderful is that? Truly, he must be the son of the living God. And so when you engage in your personal disciplines and you engage of sharing the message you should be, we should be contagious for Jesus Christ. And he said, when that veil split, you don't have to go through a preacher. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a church representative. I open the front door. And you can come right on in yourself. And you can reach out and you can touch me for there's healing in my name. You can listen to my voice, and I'll give you wisdom when you ask for it. You don't have to go in, through, or around anybody. Just come on in and let me wrap my arms around you and hold you. When no one else will hold you, I will always be there. I will never leave you. Just come right on in. Sit down. Pour your heart out to me, and you're going to hear me say, I love you. That's the power and the pain. But what about the people of the cross? <coughs> That's you and me. He said, will you deny yourself? There's only one way to the Father except through 
Jesus Christ. But he said for you to be able to enjoy the blessing, <coughs> excuse me, you have to humble yourself. You're not the big shot. God oftentimes will give people enough rope to make them think that they have gained popularity, they've gained name recognition, and they've gained financial prowess. There will come a day that every tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether you ever confessed or not. He will be honored. Let me say this, like it or not. He will be honored. So he says you humble yourself and you deny yourself. You trust him. You decide to put down your stubborn will. You come to grips with the reality that death will be faced by everyone. You'll admit and call on his name and say there's only one antidote to eternal death. And it's eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let me suggest something to you. The worst thing in the world that a believer can do is to use cheap grace to believe your family members are going to make it to heaven. And you patronize them because they're good. Death is mean and nasty and unrelenting. And the devil often will come in as an angel of light and at the same time be the enemy. For if you are a believer that you have humbled yourself and you have denied yourself, you will, listen, you will have fruit in your life that reflects your love for Jesus Christ. You will have disciplines in your life that exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What God is concerned about, you will be concerned about. What God loves, you will love. What God hates, you will hate. Amen? Amen. And so do not believe. Don't believe for a moment unless you see those marks of the fruit. And if you do not see them, get busy. Don't wait until that moment until it's too late. Don't wait then, because you cannot cry your way in, scream your way in, claw your way in. There's only one way in. Jesus, I am sorry. Forgive me. And my life through the power of, cross, of the cross will honor you. The Apostle Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Put your hands together. Let's thank Jesus. We do that. Would you stand? Let's stand to our feet. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment. Now we ask you for a divine move of your presence and your spirit here. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.
Are you ready? Are you ready to go to heaven? Are you afraid to die? Those of you listening online, are you afraid to die? When you look at your life, the professing Christian, do you have the fruits? Do you have the blessing? Do you have the favor? Is God second or third? You keep pushing him back. You keep growing and gaining and he becomes less and less. Don't fool yourself. God loves you. He died on the cross for you. He will part the waters for you. He will heal your aching soul. He will bring peace to your family. He will bring an anointing and favor that you could never get otherwise. He will stop those that are against you. He will have the ability and does have the ability to bring to pass a miracle in your life. But you have to do it His way. So just in case there are those listening and those here this morning, I want to ask you to let's repeat. Let's repeat this prayer together, shall we? Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I am a sinner, I am a sinner. and I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I humble, myself, I humble myself and I admit, and I, admit I, have I have sinned more than I can count. More than I, can count. I, have been rude, I have been rude. I have been stubborn. I have been hard-hearted. I have been cold. I have done things that I wondered why I did it. It was self-serving. But right now, I sense your presence in my life. I hear you as you have spoken to me, and I am answering. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name, I repent of my sins. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're in this room right now. You prayed that prayer in the balcony and here, and nobody's looking. And you sense God came into you. And you're willing to say, just now I prayed my salvation prayer. I claim him as my Savior. And I'm raising my hand to acknowledge in my future, things will be different because of Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand on this bottom floor? Get it up. I'm looking left right now. Get it up real high. I see you and I see you and I see you back there. Over to my right, I see you back there. I see you over there. See you way over there. I see you over to the right. See you over here. How about the balcony? I'm looking to my left, your right in the balcony. Anyone up there, God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone in the dead center area up there, God bless you. Anyone over here, I see right there. God bless you. I see you. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your love and your anointing. If you need prayer in your body, and you believe that Jesus heals, you've got a grandson or a granddaughter that you're not sure, you've got a child that you're not sure, don't let them wind up in the throes of darkness. 
because you think they're a good person. Don't do that, Mom and Dad. You believe God is able to redeem them, and maybe you just want to bring them down yourself in your heart of hearts and say, today is a new day. I'm bringing them finally once and for all because in the deep of my heart, I really want to believe they're right, but I know they're not because I don't see the manifestation of it. And whatever you need, we're going to sing this song once. And if you raised your hand, I want you, I want you to tell the devil that he's a liar. I want you to experience the pain of your pride being denied. Jesus could experience the pain of crucifixion. Surely we can experience the pain of our pride being crucified. So as we sing this song, I'm asking you to come as the Holy Spirit directs. Would you do that right now? Here we go. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, come on, my friend. Those of you that are in the balcony, those in the back, you come right on down, friend. We're going to greet you right here. Thank you, Jesus. Don't hesitate, my friend. This is a big moment for you. Here we go. The blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. All of our leaders, you help us. Some of you small group leaders, come and help us. No, at the cross, at the cross. The cross where I first saw Some of you leaders, come on down. So, Father, you gave your son for us. 
There's no gift any man could give known to man that is more valuable and more important than the gift you gave to us. Jesus, you chose at the will of the Father to give your life. You did not compromise. You did not take the easy road. You stood the test and proved your love. And today, that love is rewarded by those who raised their hand and said, thank you, Jesus. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my Redeemer. You're my healer. And so I accept you as my Savior. Help every person in this room. That if we know of anyone that's not walking in Jesus, and we know them by the fruit, help us to reach them. If it's in our sphere of influence, we must reach them in Jesus' name. Touch and heal those who responded in the altar. Minister and meet their need. And may this day be a day of transition. And now, Lord, on Easter Sunday next week, we pray this campus will be saturated with your power. We pray when people walk in the sanctuary that a divine anointing of conviction and encouragement would be here. We pray, God, as we commit that service to you, and we believe you will be honored and your name will be exalted above every other name. We claim that. Prepare our hearts now in Jesus' name for that to take place. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Friend, don't forget tonight. God bless you. And we'll see you tonight. Amen. See